This is an ABC podcast. Take five. The people you love play five songs they love and tell you why. Hilltop Hoods are legends. For more than 20 years, they've dominated the local scene with multiple Hottest 100 entries, arias and the record for most number one albums in Australian music. When they play a show, it's an arena and they've brought that energy to every one of their performances, on stage and on record. These are the accolades you hear about, but when I invited them to take five, I wanted to hear about their highlights in an epic career in show business. See, Hilltop Hoods are also legendary people. They may not have been the first to rap in an Australian accent, but they changed the game for everyone who followed. And they've never been shy in shouting out the pioneers. They're heroes who paved the way for them, like Sydney crew Def Wishcast. Deathwish Cast, uh, a Sydney outfit, Western Sydney outfit, made up of uh, Dicey, uh, Sir Rec, and Deathwish himself. They were probably our first exposure to hip hop made in Australia mm. that was like on CDs and on tapes and stuff like that. Before that, we hadn't even conceptualized like we were, we were rapping and stuff, but we haven't we we hadn't conceptualized that you could um, put something out. It just didn't seem like a possibility, it, it, like even the concept of it. So, um, first got their album "Nights of the Underground Table" from a friend on cassette on a New Year's. I remember the New Year's. I was sitting in a park and he played it to me. And I wouldn't give his tape back. I'd just listen to this song. It's the first song of the record over and over again, like must have been like 40 times, 50 times or something like that. I eventually um, caught a bus up to Sydney by myself when I was like 17 and went out to the western suburbs and interviewed them for my friend's magazine, which was a graffiti magazine called Full Effect. And um, I went to one of their houses and watched Shaolin Kung Fu films with them while they drank throwbacks. And, <laughs> and, and, and it was everything I imagined. I'm like, these like, are the coolest people I've ever met in my life. <laughs> um, and that's my and the, and then at the end of the day they took me down the block to get some Chinese food and it was probably the best <laughs> day of my life. <laughs> there you go, fifteen year old Matt. <laughs> and they're still making music. They're icons. They're legends, and um, they're great guys and they're great talent. And without them, there would be no no cohesive people after them and the people that came after them. So they're real important. Um, foundation of the scene in Australia for hip-hop. 
Yeah. What did it mean to you as a, as a kid who'd been, you know, growing up on a steady diet of hip diet of hip hop to then hear Australian accents so clearly in the genre that you loved, so clearly and so, you know, in, in such a huge way when Def Wish Cast came along? Well, it was like it took away the cringe factor for us. I mean, for a lot of people, there still is a cringe factor. And, and like, you know, for people like us, we don't particularly care. But like before then, we weren't really hearing it from our peers and to hear it like that and to be able to be comfortable because you're hearing it from someone else to speak in your own voice rather than affecting an accent mm. was really, really, really um, game-changing for us. And they were, they were definitely at the pinnacle of local hip-hop at that point from sort of our perspective. We were, I think we were 14 or 15 years old when at the stage that Matt was telling that story, but um, I hadn't really heard people rapping in an Australian accent before them, so it was kind of something that dawned on me at that point that maybe we should as well. Were you, so guys rapping at, were you guys rapping at that stage? Like when you talked about how you were doing it but not necessarily recording or, or performing, were you making music together when you were 14, 15? <laughs> Define making music. <laughs> <laughs> rapping, yes. I don't know how musical it was. <laughs> but we, we grew up on like um, Ice T, like a lot of gangster raps. Hustler. Word, I pull the trigger long, grip my teeth, spray to every nigga's gone. Got my block sewn on my dope spots. Last thing I sweat, so suck a punk cop. So if you were to hear some of our like freestyles or demos from that era, we're like in American accents. Mm. Where <laughs> the subject matter had little to do with our experience. <laughs> like it's very embarrassing stuff. I mean, and, and look, that's a lot of people's uh, journey. When, yeah. You know, you, you start particularly when you start that young. Yeah, it's it's imitating your influences, which is what we were doing until we heard Deathwish Cast and a bunch of other sort of older Australian hip hop acts. Yeah. <laughs> This next choice is Public Enemy, Welcome to the Terradome. Well, welcome to the Terradome. And I'm kind of curious about what this song relates to because Chuck D and Flavor Flav, two of the greatest public enemy, a powerful, powerful institution in hip hop. Why did you choose this song? Of all the PE songs you could have chosen, why did you pick Welcome to the Terror Dome? Me and Matt went back and forward between uh, Fear of a Black Planet and It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, which were probably their public enemy's two most influential albums on us and we thought welcome to the Terradome was kind of production wise encapsulated the best of both those records we actually sat there and debated for quite a while which song we're going to play because there was too many good ones it, it takes a nation of millions to hold us back for me was one of the uh, records in the late 80s i think it's 89 it was released that uh actually kind of i'd heard hip-hop before that but it was one of the definitive records that for me as a youth made me decide that i was a hip-hop guy mm. <laughs> <laughs> and you know when you're young there's, there's lots of music but everyone kind of attaches it at least i did to part of my identity and it was and it set me on a path for kind of a long time after that and still you know collecting and listening to a lot of hip-hop starting in that era and then into the sort of the golden era years in the 90s and beyond 
And uh, we were lucky enough to meet Chuck D uh, after playing Groove in the Moo tour with him. They, they, were, they were headlining the festival, I believe. Mm. I, I have this amazing memory of Flavor Flav dancing side of stage <laughs> yeah. while we were playing. And if you've ever seen Flavor Flav dance, that's yeah. quite a sight. He's a loose yeah. unit, isn't he? Yeah. He, he sure is. Yeah. <laughs> Shot his neighbour in the foot. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't even get me started on Flavor of Love. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Oh, man, New York. <laughs> right. And then, and then after that set, Chuck D walked into our backstage at Groove in the Moo, introduced himself, being one of my childhood heroes and idols, and uh, walked up to me and Matt and just said, I really loved you guys' set. It was amazing. You're like a young beastie boy. Did you die? We, just, we yeah, died. I melted. <laughs> you, were, you were now talking to the ghosts of the, of the hoods before they met Chuck D. <laughs> yeah, I, I was dumbstruck and speechless. He is such a lovely guy. I've had the great honour of meeting him too. And he's just, he's really like down to earth. He's quite warm and, and, and loves to crack a joke. But from someone who's got like the stuff that he raps about and the, the boom that he carries himself with, it's that extraordinary flow and commanding voice that he has. You don't necessarily expect that. But he is just such a genuinely generous and, and lovely human, isn't he? He's got a lot of time for the people around him. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it kind of it killed a saying for me that was don't meet your heroes because we, we met him that night and he was an absolute gentleman and just a genuine person. Yeah. yeah. In terms One of the of... best front men ever as well. We, we, oh, saw, yeah. we saw them in Adelaide play a five-hour set. He, yeah, he's just wild, <laughs> isn't he? That's because Flavor Flav repeated his solo song three times. <laughs> <laughs> Flavor Man. He came out at the end of the set and he's like, he's got a song. I've got, I'm going to drop a song. It's called Flavor Man. And it was six minutes of Flavor Flav just saying Flavor Man. And then at the end of it, he asked the crowd if it, 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 they thought it would make him any money. And the crowd kind of booed. And he goes, you must not have heard that song properly. So he played it from beginning to end again. Twice more. <laughs> you didn't hear it right. Flavor, 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 <laughs> man. God. Chuck D's just like, I just got to let him do what he's going to do. This is part yeah, of the it. contractual agreement at this stage. Yeah. <laughs> Destroy yourself first, nothing worse than the mother's pain of a son slain and busy hurt. Can't wait for the state to side the fate. So this damn I dedicate places with the racist faces. Example one of many places. Think about the craft of what Chuck D does in M MC. That's a that's a huge conversation. But even I'm just thinking about production-wise, this record. Um, and those are my two favourite uh, PE albums too, Dan, that you mentioned. There's a lot going right. on in this record though. You know, it was a real step up from what we'd heard, not just from what they'd done, but from the whole late 80s hip-hop scene. And that sort of density of textures and, and sound that they put throughout this record, did that affect you in terms of thinking about the possibility of hip-hop, knowing what you would go on to create and how many sounds and layers and, and instruments you've now brought into the hoods arsenal did hearing that make you think about the possibility of what you could do in in later days absolutely it kind of you realize as you get older you've been making music for a while where your influences have come from I don't, I don't think you think about that a lot when you're starting you just sort of like i said earlier mimicking your influences but i mean the production that the bomb squad did on those two records was just it was mind-blowing it was it was so different to any not any other hip-hop just any other music that was out there like it was so aggressive and raw and and I think that sort of the cadence that Chuck had on top of those productions mm. has definitely been a huge influence to us. And yeah. The, and, and Paul's boutique as well. It's the 
Dust Brothers. Um, just what those what the Bomb Squad was doing, the Dust Brothers was doing with samples. Just you know, really the musicality of it, and you know, Prince Paul on De La Soul Records. Mm. The musicality of it, but like uh, Public Enemy in particular, it, it was almost a renaissance of the wall of sound. Mm. It, it was almost mm. like that, yeah. that's been brought, brought back again, but in this way. And man, it's, when I listen to those records now, it's something that I like mourn because of clearance and everything nowadays and the industry and business side of things, you'll never hear a record like that with that denser samples ever again. No. And if you're ever Black Planet, I feel like they stepped it up. Like the production was so sophisticated, not not just for its time, even now. Like they weren't just grabbing a four bar James Brown break and looping it up. They were layering it like intricately, and yeah. and uh, no one's recreated that since. And I don't think like because Matt said you can't do it anymore. No. Yeah. While we're talking about production, I want to just trek back into your third record, which was a huge breakthrough, an album called The Calling. For my people in the front. front. In the nosebleed section. Faction. Faction. This record was a huge turning point for our local scene. Um, this is when Australian hip hop popped out of the underground and into the mainstream. Is it true that you recorded the calling on your mum's computer, Matt? <laughs> no, mixed. Mixed. I, def- I, I, I recorded it at Debris' house. Uh, he had it set up, but I mixed most of it on. Um, my mum's like uh it was just like a double tape player that the pc was hooked into and one of the speakers didn't work that's the reason why a lot of the tracks are in mono because i wasn't able to do you know me me and barry is in debris used to have these arguments with matt like we need to mix our music in stereo and he was like but heaps of people have mono like speakers and was like no just you do i had i had a car as well with one speaker as well so i couldn't listen there was albums that were like hard panned with things yes i used to listen to a lot of metal as well and there'll be like a verse and then half of it would just not be there. Yeah. And for me, that was so frustrating. I'm like, well, a lot of people have this problem. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to mix it in mono and make we're it gonna mix fix everything for everyone. I could have lied and said it was like, an, a, you know, a creative <laughs> choice because a lot of like... It's lo-fi. No, you know, like a lot of, a lot of um, I think the blues, a lot of jazz records were like mixed in mono as a choice as a creative choice was that i mean what year we're talking here okay (laughs) (laughs) not the early noughties they called no it wasn't they called me mono map but ever since then ever since then but you know what i'm kind of returning to that era because I've lost hearing in one of my ears. Oh, no. Our new records are all going to be in mono. Mono Matt's making a return. No, I got a whack in one of my ears, and it's been really dull in that ear since. Oh and now I'm, I'm, have, I'm back to the same issue. I've come full circle. I'm curious about what the new Hilltop Hoods record is going to sound like after that. You know what it's going to sound like, Zan. Mono. <laughs> but what was it like for you? You know, you make this record, you've been plying your trade for a few years, but this is a kind of a tipping point. If we're talking about show business, this is where... You know, like I said, there's a there's a crossover. All of a sudden, the kind of scene that you've been involved in is now being played on radio, being played on all kinds of radio, um, on on recovery, on video hits, on all of that stuff. What was it like to be at the centre of that? It was wild and unexpected. Hmm. Yeah, when we put out nosebleed section, um, I think 
we were, we were still pretty underground as far as hip hop in Australia went, and yeah, it just uh, elevated us to a to a place that we never expected that we were going to or would get to. I got hip hop taste buds. I wanna hear that bass when I make love. Wanna hear some lyrics when I wake up. Write rhymes to get me through a breakup. Did it change the way that you thought about making music? Were you like, okay, we're on the right path? Had you shifted things in your brain about the way that you made the calling that you then, you know, stage shifted in, in that kind of gear? I think the biggest change for us was like we'd been working on really basic gear and we put so much of the money that we got from the calling into uh, like proper studio gear which was nice to be able to do. And we keep doing that, we always do that. But um, that was the biggest change for us, like having, going from limited possibilities to sort of expanding our horizons in that respect. Matt bought a stereo. <laughs> I knew that was going. As soon as, while I was saying the sentence, I'm like, he's going to say something about that. Just so I open the door, you just walk through. I like that the Hilltop Hoods reinvest in yourselves, though. That makes me happy. <laughs> And I want to dip into your next choice because we're sticking around in the hip-hop realm with Beastie Boys, who you just mentioned, although we're not going to Paul's Boutique, I think we're going to check your head. Jimmy James is the tune that you've chosen. this one how does this reflect show business and the, the peaks of your life for me when I heard this record like we actually heard this record kind of late because they had stepped away from the sampling and stuff and initially we were kind of turning our noses up at it because it was live instrumentation a bit well I was anyway and the, and the sound was so different sound was so different but we used to hang around a lot of graffiti writers and they were they were like all over it and so eventually it's sort of like you know it came into our universe and then it sort of just opened our eyes to the possibilities it's like it's like music doesn't have to be this one thing i mean beastie boys were never the best rappers out of their peers but they were the most creative musicians out of their peers i think yeah absolutely yeah, the Beastie Boys are like properly accomplished musicians and proper creative. So it, that definitely opened our eyes to the idea that we could use live instrumentation and stuff like that. And, you know, down the track, probably just, you know, having that as a start probably led to things like us doing restrung and stuff like that. Just the fact that they turned us on to that idea. I'm from a city alive with the sky vanilla known as the city of churches, home of the serial killer and in the summer it feels like a hundred degrees. Where I'm from, you might see suffering city. Walking the traps, uh. trying to escape the map. 91 was my history, I'm trying to take it back to when riders ran the line and transits ran the gambit. My memories the paint, let the track be my canvas. And many years later, because, you know, as the evolution of hip-hop sort of moved away from samples because of a lot of legal ramifications, um, Beastie Boys were the front runners in that live instrumentation mm. sort of sound within the hip-hop community and sort of, you know, I guess that opened doors for us without knowing it at the time when we first heard that record, but later in later years, 
uh, we also evolved with hip-hop and um, stopped sampling, or at least as much, and started writing our own music and, hey, and, and working with um, multi-instrumentalist producers. And let's face it, it probably didn't hurt for us to see three guys, three white guys making hip-hop successfully. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely did not hurt. <laughs> I mean, the other, we're not lousy with role models. We've got, what, Vanilla Ice? We've got uh, Snow. Eminem. Oh, no, Eminem can rap, but like, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we, we weren't lousy with people that were doing it, I don't think. Yeah. Right. I mean, maybe third base, I guess, but like, there wasn't a <laughs> lot out there. But the Beastie Boys to this day, along with Tribe Called Quest, definitely my favorite groups. Nice. Yeah. So consistent. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> This next pick is Maverick Saber, I Need. Cause there's something good that I need. Sunshine, I need. Angels, I need. Something good that I need. Those guys, I need. Old times, I need. Something good, yes, something why did you choose Maverick? I feel like I know the answer, but I'll ask the question anyway. <laughs> Matt came to me uh, with a record of a, a UK hip-hop soul singer that I'd never heard of quite some years ago and said, check this out. And I was pretty blown away by uh, the song that we've chosen for him. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Where, you, where did you discover it? I wouldn't be able to tell you. Right. I'm just a great A&R, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this is something that you guys have done, though, over many years. You often platform artists that don't already necessarily have an audience in Australia and, you know, collaborate with locals on albums and tours. Does, is that, you know, I know you sort of talked about using live instrumentation and obviously using vocalists as a way to not involve yourself in samples and everything that that involves. But when you're hunting for a certain voice that will hit and fit a, a, a Hilltop Hoods sound... Um, are you searching around for a lot of stuff? Are you always keeping your ear out for things that we may not already know about here in Australia? Well, we already had the song uh, Won't Let You Down and we didn't have um, a match for it. So we were definitely looking for someone to, to fit that role. As far as like when we're looking for collaborations or guests, a lot of it comes from us just being fanboys. Mm. So like, like when we had a Radnor on a record, it's because I was just a fanboy. Same with like Black Thought and Brother Ali. Um, very much. We're going to talk about very all, much, all yeah. the fanboying we've done. <laughs> just list them all. Charlie Suda. <laughs> yeah, it's see it. See it, fanboy. So yeah, but like it is important. It, it always has been important for us to, especially when we're touring, to bring along people who we're fans of and to try platform them. And 
we were lucky enough that uh, Red Bull flew us over to London to record in their studio and meet Maverick. There you go, guys. A Red Bull ad on ABC. <laughs> sure. Do you want me to do that again? <laughs> Zan's desk just exploded. It's self-destructed. Self, self I'm melting under a folder of ABC editorial policies right now. Oh, shit, sorry. Hey, it is what it is. You can't change the past, can you? No. Well, we could just say an energy drink that could possibly give you wings. We, <laughs> we were lucky enough to be flown by a company we won't mention. Yeah, well, we, we, we went over to, to um, London to record with him. And we'd never met him before. We met him at this session. You know, he's a really nice guy, Irish guy. And we're like, oh, do you want to come have a drink afterwards? And he's like, oh, you know, I'll come for one. And smash cut to like nine hours later. Um, he's in our hotel room wrestling our manager. <laughs> and, and Matt, and they're, and they're getting sweaty. They've been going they, at they it. They're getting sweaty. It's, it's all fun and games. Everyone's laughing. And then Maverick takes his shirt off. And in response, our manager, what did he do, Pete? Takes his pants off. Why? <laughs> and we said to him, this is not how it's done. We're very confused. Put your pants back on. Yeah. You go shirt for shirt or pants for pants. You don't go pants for shirt. We're not trying to dress the doll in like clothing. Well, just a little etiquette. I mean, I feel like that's part of the, you know, that's part of the social contract. If you go shirt for shirt. You don't go pants for shirt. Escalator too far. Yeah. I feel like anybody who's listening now who's like had an email from you guys in the last six months of, hey, we've got a song we want you to work on. They're like, oh, well, I don't want to do it this way. Not if, it, not if this is what's involved. It's not my recommended like, way to write songs with someone you just met. No, there's the Hilltop Hoods hazing period that you have to go through. Jeez Louise. I'm good, I'm good, I'm pretty good. Thanks for asking, that's funny I'm good, I'm good, but not great. How are you? Because I'm kind of awful. I'm good, I'm good, I'm pretty good. Thanks for asking, that's funny I'm good, I'm good, but not great. How are you? Because I'm kind of awful. You guys are always keeping busy. You're always working on something. Um, what's next for the Hilltop Hoods? Did I see that you're working on releasing a new restrung record? We will be eventually one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are. Um, we're going to put a new record out before another restrung, though. Oh, yeah. cool. We're, we're, we're basically working on two records at the moment, the new record and the restrung record. So. How far through are you on the new album? Pretty far. Yeah, we got um, new a new song coming soon and a whole bunch of sort of songs that are kind of half, three quarters finished that we're just trimming down to put on an album. We got a song dropping next week. Oh, amazing. Okay, yeah. there you go. Hot tip, new Hilltop Hoods next week. Show business yeah, is what we've heard so far. You guys have been sort of drip feeding us with songs here and there, but that's exciting. It's going to make it on a, a brand new record as well. Yeah. 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 We're, we're hoping to have it out sort of mid next year, I think. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Dan's looking at me. <laughs> I'm looking at everywhere but him. Yeah. Sure. We should. We should. What sort of stuff do you guys... with your time. We've been talking about you as teenagers coming up and, and wrestling people, hanging out backstage with Public Enemy. <laughs> I'm kind of curious about what you listen to at home because, you know, hoods have been going for, you know, 20 years, more than 20 years now and, and making music. I'm sure that your lives have changed a lot. You've become dads. Do, mm-hmm. do you, does the sort of stuff that you listen to at home change much? Or are you still like going hardcore on DMX and Ice-T and everything else at home? <laughs> I still break out my vinyl collection uh, now and then. It's it's like 
compared to how easy it is to listen to music off a phone, it's a bit of an effort to sort of sit down. You gotta have time to sit down and put some vinyl on. But I try. It's an to intention, isn't it? Every now and then, exactly. Yeah, it's a task in itself, which I still enjoy, but don't have the time to do it as much as I'd like. Yeah, I still I still make debris and pressure mixes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so yeah. Cute. still I like to this that. day. <laughs> it, it used to be about a monthly thing called the Super Robot Friendship Mix. The Super Robot Friendship Mix. And I, I did covers for him and everything back in the day, but now no covers. It's just a Spotify playlist. But um, yeah, I still do one about every three months or something. Yeah. But so, like, you know, you know, uh, Kendrick, J. Cole, I mean, so much. I mean, so, if I'm being honest, I do listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> No shame. <laughs> <laughs> That's a dad thing, you know, World War Two and podcasts. What are you gonna do? You just you... Undeniable. <laughs> um, a lot of people are sort of negative about what's coming out lately, but I'm not at all. There's so much. I, I find there's just as much that I, I can't get through as used to. Uh, you know of stuff I want to listen to. Yeah. I just I just started just started listening to that new Black Thought. Oh. With Danger Mouse. We're featuring Danger. it on Double J this week. It's an amazing record. Ooh. Yeah. Killer. He's, so still, he's, he's one of the best to ever do it, and he's still got I'm from with too many lives, 25 years or fewer. Nothing we receive is brand new. It's just newer. While brothers drop down in their knees and make newer. Popsicle sticks race down the curb into the sewer. The next American hangman sketched the crayon. Gangland on the facade that you can spray on. Killing birds with one stone is what we stay on. Wingspan never too wide for you to play on. We got one final choice, and it is an absolute legend. Talking about the one and only Amy Winehouse, Back to Black. We only Why did you choose this song? Apart from being a massive Amy Winehouse fan, which uh, at the time that this story occurs, the entire world was, it was she was a phenomenon, and rest in peace, went too early. Um, but we were lucky enough to be asked to play Glastonbury Festival in, in England uh, in, I think, 2011. Mm. It was the first big festival we'd ever done overseas. I think we'd done one or two small ones, but, I mean, it's still the biggest festival we've ever done overseas. It's, it's an insane beast of a festival Glastonbury but anyway we played um sort of earlier in the day and we're lucky enough to uh, go and catch Amy Winehouse play in one of her last shows ever and I just have this amazing memory of her uh just crushing the stage it's one of the tightest bands I've ever heard and it was a real moment for me that it kind of, I kind of realized how far we had come yet how far we still had to go and and just the scope of 250,000 people trying to squeeze into an arena <laughs> to watch Amy Winehouse play play back to black and um, at at a at a peak of her career was yeah it was it was an unforgettable experience. She also socked some sleazebag in the front row who tried to grope her, that which was, was that was the amazing. That was the night that she punched the guy in the face in the front yeah. row as well. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, I would have done anything to have seen Amy Winehouse live, just to hear that voice in front of me and, and experience it live. It must have been an incredible experience. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was just as good live or better live than it was recorded as well. She, she was, she was something. Yeah.
that phenomenal voice wrapping up an epic take five of stories and song with Hilltop Woods. I love that. I hope you did too. What bloody legends. And if you did, tell a friend about it. Leave a review in the Take 5 podcast. I honestly appreciate every one of you who do. It helps other people find this amazing conversation about music. Next time, we'll be joined by an honorary Australian. He's been here a zillion times on his own and with his band. Yep, Canadian crooner Dallas Green from Alexis on Fire is Taking 5 with you. Take 5! The Take 5 with Zan Rowe. Every week, hear the people you love. Hi, I'm Joan Jett. Hey, this is Nana Cherry, and I'm Taking 5. Talk about the five songs they love. Hear stories of discovery. And I heard this thing coming out of the speakers. I was like, oh my God, what is that noise? Wow. And the songs that changed how they saw the world. It just affected me deeply. I never knew rap could be that powerful. It's like a jungle. Join Zan Rowe and Take 5. Life 101 with Kimber and Zan. Pull up a chair. <laughs> Subscribe now.